first reading is from the book of Numbers in the 11th chapter. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And Moses heard the people weep, weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. And then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to them and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading this morning from James's epistle in the fifth chapter. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of our Lord. I invite you to rise as you're able 
as we hear from Mark's gospel in the ninth chapter. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, then cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. The salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. And I invite our young ones up. Or not. That works. It's all right. We were just going to talk about prayer and unity and how we don't really like to be alone, but we like to be together. With those thoughts in mind, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us through your Son, Christ, and for all you do for us daily by your Holy Spirit. We pray now at this time that you would move by your Spirit, remove distractions from our hearts and minds, and lead us to ever see your work for us in Christ and your love for us through him. And in his name we pray. Amen. The next couple of Sundays actually carry a fairly similar theme, but played out in a couple of different ways. You see, they both look at unity. Now this Sunday, we will be looking mostly at unity within the body of Christ. Unity with who our Lord is. Next Sunday, uh, Jesus talks to his disciples and the Pharisees and scribes about divorce and unity in the home. We'll save that for next week. And you all know what unity is. I mean, think of the name of the country you live in, the United States of America, right? I bet at this day and age, though, if you asked everybody what actually united our states together, it may give them pause to actually think, what is it that unites us? What, what holds us together? On a smaller scale, for many of you who have been part of a team, you know what unity is, right? A team can move forward with all of its special gifts and all of the ways in which all of the players or uh, business people or whatever the team ends up looking like, whether it's a school assignment or business or sports, you end up with all of those gifts gathered together to move in a particular direction. Now, what would happen on a football field or a soccer field or whatever field you want to think of where one person of that team grabs the ball and runs the opposite way from the way his team's supposed to be going. There's no longer unity of direction. There's no longer unity of momentum anymore. In fact, you have a lot of disunity at that point as the rest of the team pretty much breaks apart and tries to yell at that one guy to get going in the right direction again. 
Now, if you have a team where multiple people start doing that, unity breaks down. Almost ends up every man for himself. One of the things that's hardest to look at when we think of Christ and his love for the world and all that he has done to forgive our sins and give us of himself is when we see disunity in the body of Christ, disunity in his church. I and mean, we can think of ourselves before God and our, our own individual sins, and as we hear those words of dismemberment and plucking eyes out and that kind of thing, we hear Jesus and we know that he's serious with these words. He may not literally be telling us to cut off a hand or a foot or an eye, yet the seriousness and the weight of his words is just that. If there's sin that is keeping you from hearing the word of God, throw it away. Throw it away into this place of unquenchable fire, this place where things do not go well, where no one wants to be around hell, Gehenna, whichever translation you end up reading in Scripture, this place that was an ever-burning trash heap outside the walls of Jerusalem. Yet when we see this disunity in the body of Christ, That's hard to see as well. I mean, as John's walking along with the rest of the disciples and Jesus as they are going along, you hear John start off with almost like initiating the first denominations of the Christian body, right? There's those guys over there using Jesus' name and there's us over here using Jesus' name and living in that name. And John says, we saw him doing amazing things, casting out demons in your name, Jesus, but we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow us. Sometimes we get a little close-minded and we, we like us. It's, it's easy to kind of look out and find enemies at times. It's easy to find those different than us. It's easy to find a, a them to go against our us, right? So as John is there, think of what had happened before. Jesus had sent John and the other disciples out into the villages to do what? Preach and cast out demons and heal people. And they did, miraculously, beautifully, wonderfully. But then just a couple of verses ago, maybe a day before this occurrence, a man had brought his son to the disciples, wanting to bring him to Jesus. And he brought the son to the disciples and said, my son has a demon, would you cast him out? And the disciples couldn't do it. They couldn't do that work that God had sent them to do because they were looking at their own hands as opposed to looking at what Jesus was doing. So now as they walk along and they see somebody who's not connected with them at all, somebody else who has not been following in their tribe, somebody who is out and about in this other area casting out demons and doing the work that they couldn't do even a day before, they said, Jesus, that guy's doing stuff in your name, but we don't think it's right. We don't think he should be there. We don't think he should be doing what he's doing. So we tried to stop him. It's disunity in the body of Christ something that we still see today. And it's heartbreaking. I think about it. The one Lord, one Savior, one way, the truth, the life, the one way in which we would get to heaven sets out to bring all of us into his body, into his church, into his gathering of his people that he gives the gift of his Holy Spirit through baptism as we all carry the name of one Lord together. Yet, how many different ways do we see church happen? How many different doctrines and teaching 
and understandings? Are there some that follow the culture? Some that stand up no matter what the culture says and they stand upon Scripture. Some that end up being some kind of blend in between. And as heartbreaking as it is, it should not be a surprise because all of us, who hear that word, all of us that read scripture, all of us that go to teach that word are also the same, sinners. We do not have a perfect understanding of God's word. We do not have a perfect understanding of whatever it may be. But what we don't need to do also is wash away the teachings of scripture, wash away the doctrines, wash away the history of the understanding of God's word within the church and say that there are no differences at all because there are mainly because we don't understand it perfectly. We don't get it perfectly. So if we're not going to throw away those differences of understanding, because actually all the denominations are trying to do their best to understand God's Word. Some we see stand up against God's Word in ways, and we say that doesn't seem right. Maybe that needs to be thrown on the trash pile. And other times, maybe it's our own pride or jealousy or other ways in which we may get angry and cause division even within whether it's our own church body or within God's whole church throughout space, throughout the nation, throughout the world, throughout that community of all the saints, right? Because there are Christians in every single one of the denominations. And so to see brokenness in that family is heartbreaking. Yet, like I said, it's expected. We're sinners. We don't understand how to do it all perfectly by any means. So there's disunity. And there will be. There will be disunity all the way until the day that Christ comes back. But see, as God continues to work, even through his broken body of the church, he continues to do everything he can to hold it together. Because there is definitely something that unifies us. Definitely something that unifies all of God's holy church. It's the fact that we do follow one Lord. We have one faith. We have one baptism. We have one Lord and Savior at all who has died and risen for the forgiveness of our sins. We have one Savior throughout all of them. And so as we hear words from other churches, as we hear words from family members who may attend in a church in a different way, sometimes we need to close our mouths and open our ears and listen. Are they bringing the gospel to you? Are they handing you a cool cup of water in the name of our Lord? Are they handing you something where you'll be refreshed to hear of God's word for you? Again, it does not mean to stand against God's word. But sometimes we may just have to realize that there's a difference between the truth of God's word and our opinions on the way we wish it were. And sometimes those opinions on the way we wish it were need to fall by the wayside when God's word stands up because God's word is truth. God's word is what shapes our lives. God's word is what he gives to his body to refresh it, to renew it, and to reveal himself to it. And that word is never changing. It is ever constant. Jesus uses way too many metaphors to try and cover in one sermon today. But the one that I do appreciate in the midst of all of it is salt. See, salt is salt. There's nothing else you can do with salt. You can't change salt. If you change salt, it's no longer salt. And that goes for a lot of different things. 
But salt will always be itself, right? Sodium chloride, that's it. You take apart any one of those two things, you no longer have salt anymore. And if salt were to lose its saltiness, which it can't do, how would you make it salty again? Well, you can't because it's not going to lose its saltiness to begin with. If it does, it's a non-thing. It's sand almost at that point. But see, salt is constant. You can cover it up with enough sugar. You can cover it up with enough other flavors if you want to. And sometimes throughout God's body of the church, we've tried to do that with his word. Cover it up with enough things that would go the way we want them to. Cover it up with enough things that make it look um, pleasing and appetizing to the culture. To say, here, here, take God's word in this way. It's a little sweeter. And really, they just need to hear God's law and God's gospel. Because the whole scripture isn't law, yet the whole scripture isn't gospel either. We need to hear of where our sins stand up, and the salt of God's word is going to do that. I had a chef that I worked with at one point in time, and he was relaying a story to me about going to culinary school. And when he was at culinary school, one of the finals that he had was to walk into the classroom, and the chef who was teaching the class had a recipe for everybody to do. And your final grade was going to be based upon this recipe. And so as he walked into the class, he looked, and every station had every ingredient needed, and they were all measured out, and there, and the recipe was there in front of them, and all they had to do was take the ingredients, put them together, and make the dish, and then present it to the chef. So everybody got into the classroom and busily started working away, starting putting things together, just looking at the ingredients, picking them up, mixing them, baking, doing everything that they needed to do. And the chef that I worked with stopped and he started tasting things. And he grabbed one of three little containers that had white granules in them. And he picked the one up and he went over to the chef and he said, Chef, uh, this was labeled sugar, but it's salt. And he set it down in front of him. And the chef said, you pass. You don't have to make the rest of the dish. Go ahead and walk out. You see, salt is going to make a difference in things. But if we don't pay attention to it, we may miss it. God's word is necessary in what we do. We can't replace it with anything else. And we need it in the midst of everything that goes on in life. Yet, it needs to be in there with love, and compassion. It needs to be in there with the word of God's gospel for the forgiveness of our sins. It needs to be in there to keep the unity of God's church together because there is no other word that forms God's church. There is no other way in which we are held together except by the work that Christ has done and except by the work that God does through his Holy Spirit in our lives daily. And as we think of the little ones that need to hear God's word, those little ones are not limited by age. They might be little in our household, they might be little in our church, but a lot of times those little ones are much older than we are, yet they're young in faith. And when we use words that would lead them away from God's word or sugarcoat God's word or make it a little too salty at times, there are times at which we need to step back and bring a word that they need to hear in a way that they need to hear it so that we would raise one another up in God's word, so that we would remain unified as the body of Christ, so that 
His Word would continue to work and whatever does need to be taken out of the body of Christ and thrown into that ever-burning trash pile would be taken out and thrown into the ever-burning trash pile so that the body of God's people would be refined and beautiful and wonderful. And we look forward to the day when Christ will do that ultimately when He comes back. And there will no longer be divisions amongst Christ's body, but there will solely be one church, one body of believers, one family brought together in the presence of God himself as he comes back to be with his creation. A unity like no other. A unity of purpose, a unity of design, a unity of grace and mercy in the presence of God. So we pray for that as much as possible right now. And we look forward to the day that it's promised. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you continue to do for us by your hand and through your work and all the ways in which that has worked out through history. We thank you for the word that you have carried on from generation to generation through all of the saints throughout time, that you would ground us in your word, that you would lead us by your spirit and point us to Jesus. In his precious name we pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as you are able and we will sing.